Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Uh, Brandon Stiver and I, Phil Dark, are excited today because we get to have a guest on that was the first released guest episode of Think Orphan. And now we're getting ready to come to the 200th episode. So it's kind of like, you know, right after the first and right before the 200th. Not that we're ending, but it's kind of a cool thing. We're getting him back. So uh, Jed Metafend is who we're going to be having on here in a minute. I'm going to kind of do the formal introduction in a couple minutes, but I was just really excited about that. So Brandon, what's going on, dude? Not a whole lot. It's uh, summer, so that's kind of fun. feel like everything's on the schedule for our kids, you know, finishing ballet recitals, you know, last track meet of the year, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, we're just ready and willing for, for summer to, to be here. Late school year. The school year is a di- kind of a different kind of uh, section here in Washington State. So yeah. our kids are still in school, but almost done. Yeah, we got all the all the graduation stuff end of, end of uh, May for uh, the dark home. And uh, including my daughter got her EMT certification, which was not Whoa. the expectation. So now she's working at uh, Woodleaf uh, Young Life Camp and as an EMT, which was That's pretty cool. If you ask a year ago, and no one uh, anywhere near Malia would have thought that she'd be an EMT. But hey, God works in fun, cool ways. So That's awesome, though. And I think if you talk about it to either of us, like if we would have thought 20 years ago we'd be doing what we're doing, I don't know that we would have uh, thought that either. So uh, you know, I remember talking to Peter Greer about that and the third episode, right? Where I was like, right. do, you, do you think you would have, you know, did you know, did, were you thinking this 20 years? He's like, of course not. <laughs> that You knew the answer before you asked. But, but you know, that's that's something that's really cool about a lot of this stuff that, that a lot of us are doing, which is why I, I always tell people like, hey, don't, you know, live life with open hands. Live life just with, hey, I, I kind of have an idea and I'm going where God's leading. Let's follow the breadcrumbs where God's, uh, that God's putting down for us. So, um, that's, uh, yeah, it's been fun. That's so good, anyway, man. That's yeah, good. so we got a cool summer. You got any, uh, cool summer plans, uh, in your, your neck of the woods? We just bought a house. Uh, oh, so yeah. we have kind of project upon project. We're trying to figure out which, which projects do we do in the first six months, which projects do we do in the first, uh, you know, 12 months and which projects are like the 10 year type. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so yeah, we'll kind of see, we might travel a little bit, but, uh, I think we're gonna put a lot of our finances towards trying to get this, uh, trying to get this fixer up or fixed. So, yeah. uh, but it's it's exciting, man. It's exciting. And yep. and you know, I was just thinking, you know, it, it's great to have Jed on today. I'm gonna throw it over to you, so you can kind of uh, introduce our, our host, our, our guest, a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the news these days, and you know, we really felt like. Man, who can we talk to about this? So, so, uh, so we're getting Jed on here. Uh, Phil, why don't you uh, just share with us a little bit about about who Jed is, and 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 yeah, we'll get him in here. Absolutely, yeah. And so, one of the reasons we we want to bring Jed in is uh, he's just a, a wealth of knowledge from a lot of the things that we talk about on the basically everything we talk about on the show. Jed has experienced. Uh, in he was uh, on Capitol Hill and he was in the Bush White House and and he has been the president of Christian Alliance for Orphans uh, for the last I believe 14 15 years 
And, um, you know, he's just a guy who we were talking, Brandon and I were talking about it a, a little bit ago. Um, just, hey, we want to talk about the abortion uh, conversation again. We did that back with Brian Fisher and Kira Schlesinger and, and uh, Adrian Collins back in the hundreds, you know, first, first 10 of the, of the second hundred. Um, we have a couple, uh, three episodes there. I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to those on the, on the abortion pro-life versus pro-choice conversation. We're not going to get into that as much, I don't think, today. We might. Who knows? You know, you never know where these conversations may go. But we were talking about that, and then Jed recently wrote an, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal as well on this topic. I recommend you go check that out. We're going to talk about it today as well. But uh, we thought, you know, who better right now to get on and talk with us than Jed, who just has a really good 30,000-foot view. And if you're just wanting to understand, you know, Roe v. Wade and and the, the upcoming decision of the Supreme Court and all these different things that are going on, we're hopefully going to, you know, not we're not going to give you a full, full crash course on it, but we'll give you an idea. Um, you know, really what the implications of it are, not just from a, an abortion standpoint, but what are, the, what are the other implications and what, are the, what does it show? You know, what I really want to get into is kind of root causes and foundation. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that over the next 45 minutes or so. And, um, and so I, I just encourage you to, to just come into it with open ears, just an open heart to understand, you know, what are what is this all about and what is our role that's the most important thing on the other side of this is what does it mean for us whatever we feel about abortion there are implications for each and every one of us that um really are i think going to be coming to the forefront over the next um you know few months and few years like like we haven't seen before because i think it's going to become a lot more obvious some of the glaring things that we have before us. So anyway, with all of that, I think we're ready to jump into this conversation with Jed Medifin. Jed Medifin, it's been a long time since we've had, you know, fortunately I've been able to connect with you and hang out with you since we last talked on Think Orphan, but man, it's been since episode two and now we're recording episode 199. Crazy. But how you doing? Can you just catch us up a, a little bit on uh, on you, what's been going on in KFO since 2016, that last time we talked uh, here on uh, Think Orphan. We've had some other th- KFO folks on here, but, uh, but Jed, what's going on, man? Yeah. Well, great to be with you, Phil and Brandon. Thanks for having me. And just so, so grateful for the thoughtfulness you bring to all these conversations. So, so glad to be a little part of it with you again here. So to give a little, uh, you know, just what's, what's going on in KFO? I know a lot has, has changed. Lots the same, but there's a lot of new initiatives going on with KFO that uh, weren't, weren't going on last time we talked. And so can you just kind of hit on those things and just how people can get involved if they want to? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, Phil, and, and you know this, but before my time with KFO, back when, when there was the very first gathering of 30 some organizations and leaders that came together, and one of the phrases they used, which I just still love, is they, they said, we've got to leave our logos and egos at the door and join in a vision that's bigger than any of us could do on our own. And, you know, that was that was kind of the proto uh, vision, but that's still really the heartbeat, you know, that just lots of different organizations, leaders. Now, now there's about 200 member organizations, as well as a network of churches. And then, of course, global networks from, from countries all over the world. 
but it's really the same vision joining together in a, in a vision that's bigger than any of us could, could do on our own. And so, of course, that takes lots of different expressions today. And in the U.S., a big part of that is, you know, focused on the foster system, uh, what's called more than enough, working to see more than enough well-supported families for every child in the U.S. foster system, including foster and adoptive and kinship and restored biological families, and really seeing church-based support for all of those. So that, you know, that uh, initiative is really going well and just a lot of growing energy in the U.S. church for that. So that's that's something that's very exciting. Um, on the global side, though, you know, something that's very much a similar heartbeat, working with local networks of churches and organizations and countries around the world, to, to really see the local church in those places as the primary answer for the kids and families of that place. And so just, you know, kind of bringing all the resources of the CAFO community to bear on, on serving uh, those, those local networks. Um, and then, then we also, of course, see the work with the, uh, the, the ministries and nonprofit organizations that are part of CAFO, really trying to elevate the quality and impact of work throughout the field. So that, of course, includes folks that you've interviewed here, like Nicole Wilkie, Dr. Dr. Wilkie, who's the head of the, the CAFO Research Center, that's um, really trying to, to bridge the gap between kind of big ideas and academic research and frontline practice. Um, and so, of course, that plays out in so many different ways, but just so many, so many exciting things. I love, love being a little part of it. No, it's so good. And, and I would just uh, encourage our listeners, if you guys go onto the CAFO website, you know, they have a ton of resources, including some great podcasts as well, including with Jason Weber and, and the More Than Enough movement. And and of course, Jed's own uh, podcast, which has been recommended uh, on our podcast, and we couldn't recommend uh, enough justice in the inner life. So there are a ton of resources that, that Jed and his team are, are uh, putting out there that I would just encourage our listeners to really get into. And you know, Jed, as we are thinking about the uh, all that's going on within Christian orphan care and and all that you've been a part of for the last you know decade and a half or even plus you know even before the CAFO days um, you know as someone that really kind of has a pulse you know on Christian work with orphans and vulnerable children you know what what trends are you seeing right now you know you interact with a lot of churches you interact with a lot of nonprofits you interact with uh, government and and all these different people you know what are some of those trends um, that you're seeing right now um, that might be new you know compared to where we maybe were 10 years ago or so uh, what are some of those trends that you're seeing right now in this space yeah yeah well of course certainly one of the the big topics in the field is the way that intercountry adoption has been constricted you know mainly by countries that in the past had allowed children within their country to find new families through intercountry adoption in many cases that's been significantly reduced and then of course covid and and all the the challenge with that made that go even further and so you know that is that is one factor that uh that is often discussed but of course so much of that the energy uh, in the field uh, continues, it just finds new expressions. And so, you know, as we were talking about a moment ago, there's a lot of energy around foster care in the US. Uh, I would say that's that continues to grow year by year. Um, on a global side, uh, we, we see much, you know, somewhat of a similar thing where, where you have local networks of Christians saying, hey, we really, we want to be the first answer for the kids and families of this country. And, and so that, that, you know, and I, and within that, there's a, an appreciation for Western organizations, and I think a recognition that often 
um, you know, US-based or other Western um, nonprofits bring a certain expertise and knowledge and resources that, are, that can be wonderful additions, but there's a recognition that, that if there is going to be a lasting solution, it has to be rooted within local communities and, and often uh, led by the local church, or, or at least with the local church deeply involved. And so those are, those are very encouraging things. Um, if I were to point to one kind of macro trend, I know it's something that you talk a lot about on this program, but it is it is the centrality of family, a, a reassertion of that fundamental truth that God's very best for children is family, safe, permanent, nurturing family. And uh, you know, I think that of course, all throughout the Christian tradition, you can you know, if you look seriously, you 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 know that that has been the heartbeat. But I think very often when good-hearted people have come up against the reality that there have been mass scale needs, you know, particularly many children growing up uh, without the protection care family, there's, there's an immediate response towards what well, we need. We've got a mass scale problem. Let's find a mass scale solution. Let's find, you know, something we can do on a large scale. And that's very understandable. Um, but of course, as again, I know you talk about on the, a lot on the show, we've got to press ourselves toward the ideal, towards God's best, which is the family. And uh, even in times when that's not entirely possible in the short run, we've got to figure out how can we head that direction in the long term. And so, you know, of course, I, I'd say that is theme number one, both in the U.S., uh, within the foster system, trying to move away from congregate care group homes to the extent possible toward, you know, family-based solutions, whether that's uh, within foster placements, kinship, expanding kinship options, doing all we can, of course, to preserve biological families, reunite when that's safely possible. Um, but it's, it's the same thing globally as well. So I'd, I'd put that in the bullseye of the trends and then everything else uh, is important, but secondary. Yeah, no, that's really helpful for us to kind of see it at that level, you know, and you brought up inter-country adoption, which is such an interesting thing and not even one that we've actually kind of talked about a whole lot this last season or two. Um, you know, those trends have been going down, but there are implications beyond that. I was talking with a with a friend and colleague, a member of our community practice who's been on the show before, Marissa Stam, and we were talking about Ethiopia. You know, when we talk, talk about inter-country adoption, there were these countries that were certain hotspots, so to speak. You know, there was Guatemala, Ethiopia, Uganda. You know, there were kind of like these spots where we saw this more when Ethiopia started to close up for international adoption. Um, and, you know, I'm sh I'm sh of course, there's going to be pros and cons with any of these. But there used to be 80 orphanages in Addis Ababa. Now they're down to 31 and the trend continues to go down. So it's one of those things where we talk about intercountry adoption. We talk about um, we talk about you know uh, congregate care, or residential settings versus family care. We talk about community service. What what services are provided in the community that are going to strengthen the families? We talk about all these things, and none of it happens within a silo, right? So we might just think, oh, intercountry adoption is going down, or Ethiopia closed, and yet that has implications beyond just whether or not we're welcoming you know an Ethiopian child into an American family or what have you. So it's really important that, that, that you bring up all of these things and really have it be family centric. You know, so kind of with that in mind, Jed, um, you know, what are some of the next things, you know, that, that, that those that are caring about, you know, orphans and vulnerable children, especially, you know, faith-based advocates, practitioners, even parents, you know, what, what should we be doing? You know, it's 2022 now, um, what should we be doing to better care, you know, for vulnerable children or, or what's what's might be missing in some of our current approaches that we, that we really ought to attend to? 
Yeah. Well, you know, one of the thing, things that I would really emphasize is the, the, the need, and I, and, you know, I know the, the two of you see this and feel this every day, Brandon, just in, in the thick of things in, in Africa with agape and everything else, you know, the, the need to hold fast together uh, to idealism and realism at the same time. And, you know, I, with idealism, we're talking about saying unequivocally the very best for every child is safe, permanent, nurturing family. That is our objective. That's the standard with which we will judge ourselves in many ways. We'll pursue that relentlessly um, and, and never kind of just allow the, the mess of the world to keep us from pursuing that ideal. And at the same time, we need to, to, to take stock of how, how broken our world is, how deep the needs are, how in many countries of the world, there isn't necessarily a, a yet a willingness to receive children into one's home that aren't one's relatives. You know, there may be a, a strong sense of kinship care, but when there's not kin available, the idea of taking in an unrelated child and yet treating them with the same dignity and honor as one's biological children, that, that may, may not yet have permeated the culture. And so we're, we're working within a world that is that is very bent and broken. And, you know, we, we, as Christians, we, we sense that that probably will be the case until Jesus returns, right? And so we're wading into these broken places, and we need to say, what is the most workable solution here? What is feasible? What, what things can we achieve in, in both the short run first and then in the longer term? Because what, what I do see uh, is if we insist upon perfect solutions rather than workable solutions will often end up with neither. Mm. And I and I see that in the US in a whole variety of ways and globally. And so, you know, just really having those on, honest conversations as advocates like we are, you know, saying this is our ideal, we're going to pursue it, but we're also working within something tangled and difficult and and so we want to we want to really aim for those feasible solutions. Yeah, no, that's that's really well said. And, and, you know, even when we talk about, you know, going back to what you said, which was an overarching trend and absolutely something that we talk a lot about on the show is that family centric approach. Now, the, the and we see this from scripture. We see this from studies. You know, we see this from basically uh, the family is kind of like a founding block of every society, you know, however, you know, that might be defined. But, you know, it, it, there's family centric. And yet even in the best case scenario, families themselves have broken pieces, right? Uh, made up of fallible people. And if, if anything, you know, even as we're talking about, you know, you know, holding that idealism with that realism, when we think about family, it, it almost kind of heightens even more the need for, you know, strengthening type of initiatives, even for families that are quote unquote healthy, right? Even families that are quote unquote normal. Um, so really appreciate uh, you, you, you bringing that in and, and really kind of charging, you know, our audience towards that. And, you know, I'm going to throw it over to Phil here because, you know, as we do talk about family, there's a really important, you know, conversation happening right now, you know, within, within family and within our society right now uh, around abortion. So, yeah, you know, and I mean, all these, as we've, as we've talked about over the, over the course of this, um, of this podcast, he's all these issues are interconnected. We know that. I mean, Jed, you and I have talked about this many times. 
Um, it's been the topic of many of the CAFO summits and some of the different World Without Orphans forums and these different things that it's what you talk about. It's why this collaboration is important. It's why alliances are important because it's not one issue that is the silver bullet issue that all of a sudden we take care of this and everything is going to, all the dominoes will fall and everything will be perfect and we'll be back to uh, the Garden of Eden and Shalom in the world. That's not. That's not the way it works. It's. It's unfortunately, as you said, we we have these this tension of the beautiful and the broken, and and what do we do in that? And and so it, I think abortion is one of those areas. It's 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 a symptom, and it's a cause. It's 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 both. Um, it's both of those things all at once. And so I think when we see this, you know, it, the issue has been at the forefront of the minds of Americans for the last few decades. But I don't think as much as it has been over the last couple months because of this leaked opinion, um, Supreme Court opinion of Justice Alito. Um, and, you know, can you just speak to, just to, just to I think, clarify first, you have this, we, we, we pointed people to the op-ed uh, Wall Street Journal article that you wrote. So we want, we'll have that in the show notes. We want people to look at that. We might talk a little bit about it today. But can you just share with people, you know, what, the, what the, uh, this opinion actually does and what you think the implications of it are in reality? Not in, not the pol- political, you know, Roe v. Wade and what it, what it means to people, but realistically what does this opinion, what will it do um, in our country, in the United States, and what implications do you feel it will actually have if the opinion as drafted actually is um, what the opinion is? Right, right. So you added an important caveat there, right? Because we don't know what the final Supreme Court opinion will be. Yeah. Often there's a lot of opinions that float around internally before something's released. So exactly. we don't know that. But if if the final contours of the decision are, are you know similar to what we've seen thus far, what that, you know, it, re, it would reverse Roe, which, of course, people sometimes misunderstand and think that what that does is ban abortion across America. And of right. course, it doesn't. It simply returns those decisions uh, to states and to voters within states. So it's rather than being made at the federal, federal level by judges, it's made by state legislatures, voters and, and others within the state context. And so what we're going to what we would immediately see is a wide variety of approaches to abortion related questions across the states. And, you know, in some states we would have uh, as much or potentially even more abortions than we currently have. States that are that are very uh, progressive and pro-choice would actually we're already seeing signs where they would work to expand um, you know, the, the ways of acquiring abortions. Uh, they would invite people from neighboring states in for abortion travel um, and, and those sorts of things. And then in other states, of course, we would see significant limitations on abortions, probably, you know, up, uh, you know, v- very early in a pregnancy um, would be when abortion would no longer be available, um, you know, for, for uh, as as a solution to an unwanted pregnancy. And so, um, you know, we would see a wide variety there. And of course, then all, those, that's the public policy level. But of course, then it begins to, to spill into the lives of, of ordinary people and the way people live. And, and there's, of course, many, many implications for that. But, uh, you know, uh, the article that I wrote just noted the reality that, that while uh, we can't predict a lot of things, what we can likely say is that there will be 
tens of thousands at least of children born every year that would not have been born uh, under Roe. And when and, and many of these children, of course, will be welcomed into loving families. Uh, some of them will be adopted in, into other families that give them a safe, nurturing home. Um, but there will be some who will be received into homes that are in crisis, uh, severe poverty, mental illness, potentially homelessness. And, and that is going to be a place of immense need. But I would also say great opportunity for the church to step up, to be at its very best in wrapping around those families, the children, uh, their mothers, ideally their fathers. And that's something we'd want to emphasize that, that it's not, you know, we're, we're not uh, just acting as if there is no man involved. We're saying there, there is a man who, who is, you know, who helped create this life. And we need to ensure that he plays a critical role as well, because, you know, all the research shows that children do best when they have uh, both a mother and a father presence in their lives. And so those are things that, of course, the church is going to need to play a critical role. And I, I think we're up for it, but at the same time, it will require a big stepping up to, to the need and the opportunity of that time. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad that you, you know, you touched on the fact that, and this is what a lot of people, I mean, especially those who didn't go through three years of law school, um, don't understand the idea of federalism and that the fact is that the this decision puts it to the states. And as you said, as we know, we are a very divided country. And so it will be where people will state shopping and all these other things. But I don't necessarily want to get into that too much. I just wanted to make it clear to people that abortions aren't going away. I mean, that that is something that, unfortunately, in my, in my opinion, um, unfortunately, abortions are not going away. But one of the things I want to, I want to focus on is what you said um, just for the next little bit, the fathers, right? There was actually another op-ed that somebody else wrote that made it, you know, they, they were, I'm, I'm glad they said something, but I know that you didn't, you know, you weren't neglecting that. And I'm glad that you brought it up because I do think that the rise in abortions and abortions becoming such a, an institution, unfortunately, in our society, um, is a result of the breakdown of family, is the result of men not being godly men and uh, women not understanding their identity as, as amazing women of God either. And so I just want you to talk about that idea. First of all, do you agree? Secondly, you know, what can we do about it? How can we train up men to be who they need to be in the lives of not only their children, but to not you know, just be going and sleeping around with all these women, you know, and not doing things, especially if we look on the global front to see there's so many women who have multiple children from multiple fathers in these towns. And what do we do about that? Mm. Well, you know, of course, these are very tangled things, right, Bill? And, and there's always, always so many layers and so many threads that play into something uh, like abortion. But I would uh, agree with your core thesis that men are playing a central part in that. In fact, I would I would uh, put forward a thesis that most of the problems uh, with the human race originate with a failure of men to be what God would call them to be. And you know, I I, I do believe that in most cases, abortion would not uh, not just not be necessary. It would not be a serious consideration of most women, if there was a good man standing with them saying, hey, maybe we didn't expect this, but now I am gonna walk with you through this. 
I will be by your side. I will help provide. I will be a father to this child. If that were the case, I think immediately overnight, we would see the vast majority of abortions disappear. Now, again, that's not the only factor, but I, I very much agree that, that the stepping up of men and men being good men, uh, that, that would uh, eliminate the large majority of abortions. And so as we look toward the future, I think that needs to be an important part of the conversation, helping men to step up as fathers to their children. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, it starts, not starts, but I, the, the idea it starts with how do, you know, I, I, I did cotillion as a kid, right? It's kind of this silly thing that you go and you learn how to open a door for a woman. You learn how to pull a chair out for a woman. You, you learn how to ask them to dance and just dance, you know, and it's just these simple things that I think we're losing in our society, the honoring of women as men. And, and I think that there is something there that we in our societies are, because it's gone from we are, have men and women to this blurring of those lines, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, do you see any of those things over the last, you know, five, five decades as far as, you know, um, all these different movements that are, that are basically bringing it equality almost as sameness? between men and women. Do you see that as playing a role in this conversation? I do. And again, so many layers to that. Yeah. Um, but, but one thing I would emphasize at, you know, within that is that I, I see men generally, particularly young men, they long to be called up to something good and high and, and even difficult, right? Mm -hmm. they, they want that. And I, I think most young men, and I think this would have gone for me, you know, when I was more in that category and even now to this day, if, if we sense that we are needed, we're there, mm -hmm. you know, if someone says, I need you for this, I mean, you look in Ukraine and you see men that, that were outside of the country. I know several of them who made their way back into the danger zone from other countries because they were needed there. It was clear, right? And we celebrate that as the world now, you know, and, and we honor that, right? But if a man does not think he's needed, if he's sent the message, hey, you're, you're just an appendage, you're expendable, he say, well, then I'd rather play video games, right? And that's what we see in some of these situations. A abortion says to a young man who's made his girlfriend pregnant, you're, you're not necessary. We can take care of this problem another way. We can end this life, or perhaps, you know, there's enough government programs that you're, you're not needed either. And, and what we need to send is a very clear message to young men that you are needed. Yes, there are some government programs. Some of those are maybe um, unhelpful. Some are very helpful and important, but there is no replacing the role that a father plays in his children's life. And we need to send that message loud and clear to those young men. Yeah, and you you bring up the government programs too, and and you know you had mentioned in that in that article the idea of, you know, and I'll just quote what you said. You said many of the children, you know, that will result from the Roe v. Wade being overturned, many of the children that are born that otherwise would have been aborted. We don't know what that number is going to be. It may be tens of thousands. It may be hundreds of thousands. It may be tens. We don't know. Um, because of uh, the uncertainties. But many of them will be welcome into loving, stable homes. You said some by their biological parents and others through adoption. You mentioned some of this earlier in this conversation. 
But now almost certainly more children than before would be born into households strained by material poverty. So for some, this will include family breakdown, addiction, homelessness, mental illness. These children would need help in America is up to the task, but it would require significant growth in the support offered for vulnerable children and families. And so we talked about family strengthening. We talked about some government programs. But I want to talk with you with what we are specializing in, hopefully, is helping the church be the church in these conversations. Because if it's dependent on government programs, if it's dependent on that, we know that the church was made to encounter these things. The government wasn't necessarily. The problem with all these things is people are involved. We know that. It's not just run by God, unfortunately. Um, then it would be a lot better. But what do you see as, what does that look like realistically in what the landscape we have, given the different organizations, different different churches and church programs that we have, what do you see as that landscape as far as how Christians, how the church can be positioning ourselves to offer that, what is going to be needed when these children are born that otherwise would not have been? Hmm. Well, you know, first of all, I would really want to emphasize the church is doing a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this idea that uh, you know, Christians are only pro-life until birth, or they, they, they care about abortion, but they don't care about the whole life of the child. That, that, is, that is really, uh, you know, utterly false, actually. I mean, certainly, I know there are some people probably that, that would fit that description, but, uh, you know, as, as the three of us here know, we see every day people who are living it out in a hundred different ways, serving their neighbors through mentoring, through, you know, through programs supporting mothers through the time of pregnancy, helping fathers to, to step up as men, uh, providing all kinds of support and mentoring, all, all those things. And so it's, it is happening. And of course, the article I wrote mentions, you know, a, a number of examples of that. At the same time, like we're talking about, there are very likely going to be more children, more families in need of that support. And that's where the opportunity comes. You know, that's where we do, we need to say, hey, there is, there's an immense challenge and there's an immense opportunity here. And that's where we're stepping up. And, and it looks like both, you know, expanding the programs that are there, you know, in, in terms of many of the things that I mentioned, things that, whether it's uh, programs that do family preservation, keeping families in crisis, together, supporting them through that journey, whether it's substance abuse, you know, helping, helping families that are going through that, whether it's uh, helping returning prisoners, that's a big part of it, right? Where there's maybe a man who is willing to be a father, but he's just coming out of prison. He's having a hard time finding work, those things being supported in, in all of those things. So it's, it is, is the expression ultimately of the church just being the church, right? of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And that, that begins within the church community, I think, uh, you know, supporting single mothers, supporting struggling families, those sorts of things within the church. But then, of course, it spills beyond the walls of the church to, to do this within the community and myriad different programs as volunteers, as CASAs, as foster parents, uh, and a hundred other ways. Do you have, just on the family strengthening front, um, do you have any specific tools? Because I know there's there's churches that are saying we want to do family strengthening, but we we know the the idea generally. But do we? But what do we do? How do we actually do these family strengthening programs? How do we do classes? What are some things that we have? Do you, do you have any recommended? family strengthening tools that people can actually tangibly put their hands on and, and be able to practically put into practice in their, in their churches. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, th- I mean, there are some great programs and I, and I would very much agree with you that, you know, specific programs that are mapped out courses can be very, very helpful. Uh, you know, there's, there's home builders. There, there are groups like, you know, Safe Families and, and others that are, you know, helping at particular junctures. There are, uh, you know, the, the, the drug rehab, uh, substance abuse addiction programs, the, the overcomer programs, those are playing a key role, you know. So, so there's lots of different programmatic elements. But I would also emphasize that, that I really believe that the number one ingredient that cuts across all the others is community. You know, really within the United States, the deepest struggle of poverty is, is actually experienced in, in the reality of isolation, in not having the community that one needs for encouragement, for help, for babysitting, for, you know, for just crying with when one's, when one's grieving. And that is, of course, the specialty of the church. I mean, you know, that God created the church to be a community of people, broken as we are, stumbling along as we are, and yet walking through life together. Um, that's what koinonia means, you know, the Greek word translated fellowship. It's not just, you know, get together for wine and cheese once a week. It is sharing of resources. It is sharing of burdens. It is all of those elements together. And so when the church is really leaning into true koinonia, into fellowship, into hospitality, welcoming one another into each other's homes, and and in, in that I would emphasize welcoming into our homes people we wouldn't naturally invite in, not just uh, you know, people that look like us, that are of our same kind of social strata, those things, but welcoming into our homes people that are coming from de- very different angles, including those who are going through difficult struggles and those sorts of things. I-, I really see that as that's the epicenter. And then out of that, different particular programs can certainly play a- an important role as well. Yeah. And that, actually, I love how you said that about community. And I, and I 100% agree. I think people and they need models, right? I think that's why when I talk to people about family strengthening, I said, look, orphan care starts in your home with your biological family if you don't have anything to do with what you consider orphan care because it's modeling for people what family actually looks like because I think we're getting less and less models of godly family in our in our communities. And so to be able to model that and to be able to do life together is the most important thing. I agree with that. That we that we can be doing, um, and and I and I also love the uh, what it reminded me of Foster the City and some of the stuff they're doing. As far as you said that, as far as in the foster care, they saw that foster care was plummeting as far as people being able to do it, and they were burning out. But they said, all right, if we just match up any foster family with four other families in the church, it's it's that simple thing that all of a sudden foster care. Was, was healthy in that community now. So anyway, I, it looked like you had something else to say there. So what, what were you going to add on there? Yeah, well, just echoing that, you know, I, I think what you emphasized that, you know, one, one way to visualize this is if you, you know, you see a child or children, right, in a, in a vulnerable place, and then you see a, a family wrapping around them, because that's God's intent, right? And that family might be their biological family. Ideally, it is. It might be kin, it might be adoptive parents or foster parents, but you've you've got a child wrapped around by family. That's God's intent. But but very rarely, in fact, I'd say you know really never in the long run can a family do well and thrive 
just on its own, right? Mm -hmm. Floating in isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, even a very well-resourced family is not going to do well over time in isolation. And so that's why you need that wraparound support you were alluding to, you know, yeah. having, having others in the church who may not themselves have children, or maybe they're not foster parents or not adoptive parents, but, but they can wrap around these families and support them. And, uh, and, you know, I, I just was going to give one per particular example. Just a few weeks ago in our church, there's a, there's a family that is fostering, and they have several other families in the church that are wrapping around them, but th they are in relationship with the mother of the little girl that they're fostering. And, um, and just, just a couple weeks ago, the mother and actually her mother, so the grandmother of this little girl in the foster care came, came to church and they were together with a whole community of folks who are, you know, doing what they can to, to be available to this family, to serve and support and encourage them. And of course, the hope is this little girl can go back to live with her mother and yet they will remain a part of, of a community that will be with them walking for the long term. And, you know, as I'm just kind of like thinking and, and as we were talking about earlier, even on other fronts, um, all of these things are very uh, enmeshed, right? Uh, we can't just, you know, change one factor and not realize that there's going to be implications of how that plays out within this kind of complex system, right? Um, and when we talk about, you know, kids, um, you know, hallelujah, kids that are not aborted, you know, um, we're, we're all pro-life on this, you know, just a disclaimer for those that are listening, you know, hallelujah, all these kids um, are not going to have, you know, are not going to be terminated in utero. Um, they're going to enter into this system. And, and as I'm kind of like thinking about um, whether that's government systems, church systems, all of these different kind of uh, layers and enmeshments um, that ultimately have a role on vulnerable children in our society. I'm thinking about a couple things. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this in there and just kind of ask like, you know, what stress are we kind of creating within this system potentially, and what can we do to alleviate that? So on one hand, I'm looking at um, the church. The church, um, especially after COVID, has kind of been in decline. A lot, of, and, and we can kind of talk about, you know, why that is. Maybe these were more marginal, you know, people that were just more churchgoers rather than, you know, ardent followers of Christ. Who knows, right? But we do see that. I, I'm, a, I, I'm from California and I live in Washington State, so I'm kind of a, accustomed to being a minority. So, so it doesn't really throw me off that much, but this is kind of a national trend now. So we kind of have the church going down and we're saying the church will need to step up, though. At the same time, we're looking at child welfare systems. Um, having worked in foster care in California, um, just recently was talking with a practitioner in Missouri. Um, when we talk about um, these systems, they tend to be um, overly like like they're beyond capacity, right? They don't they don't have enough social workers, they don't have enough case managers, they don't have enough therapists, they don't have enough foster parents, they don't have enough kind of fill in the blank. And we're seeing this kind of across you know the board. If we are talking about children that could presumably be entering into a vulnerable state, again, if it's tens of thousands, some of those are going to go into healthy, stable families, right? Where they're not going to need any, you know, more assistance than, you know, uh, you know, a, a normal kid. Again, I'll kind of use air quotes on that. If we um, are kind of looking at um, the church somewhat in decline, and I don't necessarily think that's a 
terrible thing from like a numerical standpoint because hopefully we're getting better quality hopefully um but at any rate if we're seeing the church in decline and we're seeing these child welfare systems kind of overmaxed, if we do insert a lot of kids into that should we expect some stress and then what do we kind of do to kind of uh, clear up those bottlenecks especially if we're saying the church needs to really kind of pick up you know pick up some more slack even though i agree with you the church actually does more you know, uh, Christians tend to do more in this space than the average American. But what can we, you know, I, 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 I'm sure there's a question in there somewhere, but, but what do we kind of do with these bottlenecks that are kind of, that are kind of uh, potentially going to be there? Or are there going to be bottlenecks? I mean, you could push back on that too. But what do you think, Jed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would anticipate more need in the child welfare system in many states. Um, and, you know, and of course, there's, there's a policy conversation to be had there about different ways that that can be addressed and state budgets and things like that. So I think, I think there's policy conversations there that are very important. Those, those have real implications for, for children, for families. Um, on the church side, though, I, I, you know, really believe that ultimately what is, what is fundamentally needed is for the, each church to have its own vision for how it will live this vision out. It's going to be very different, you know, depending on the demographics and the, and the, uh, the different emphases and sense of calling of different churches. But that, that fundamental ingredient that I think is key to the church in all its expressions is the idea of, of koinonia, of true fellowship, which in this regard looks like there's the, there are vulnerable children, there are families wrapping around them, and then there are others in the church that are walking that road together with them. Uh, you know, in many ways, that, that's, that's the heart of the vision that, that more than enough is really seeking to advance all over the country and trying to help churches to develop that kind of wraparound support for families that are wrapping around children. And so, you know, obviously we're talking in broad brush strokes here, Brandon, but, but to me, that, that basic vision, if, if the church can really live that out and thousands and thousands and thousands of congregations all over the country, I think we'll be able to both absorb and welcome children that do need uh, out of family placements, but just as I'd say even more critically, we'll have the infrastructure for wrapping around the biological families, the mothers and the fathers that are there uh, struggling to care for their own children, but, but really wanting to do a good job and just needing some help in that journey. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. All this is, I mentioned Peter Greer in the interview I did with him uh, a long time ago. It was, it was just after I did the interview with you um, at the beginning of this podcast. And, and one of the things he talked about, and I, I can't remember if it was in that interview or in the, the book that we wrote together, but he talked about the fact that, and people, you know, folks, if, if you're thinking, oh, this is a pipe dream, like this is, you know, living in that dream world that, that you talked about at the beginning, um, Peter talked about these stories in, in the poorest of the poor African countries that Hope International is working with. And, and I remember him talking about the fact that they strengthen families through poverty alleviation and other trainings. Those families were not only able to keep their own children that they never thought they'd be able to keep in their own homes, but when they realized the value of family and that they could actually do this, they brought in the other children from those communities that needed homes. And so that's this picture that I hope that we start getting in our country that once we strengthen our families and understand the value of family and we bring back into our culture an understanding that family is, is the core. Family is where it needs to be 
um, our identity comes from, where our values and our mores come from, and that's the center that the then hopefully we will be able to see the need and the value of bringing in these children who need the family because their family's not able to do it for whatever reason, right? And is is that is that a good kind of summing up of what we're talking about here today? I, I think that's the kernel of the core of it all for sure, you know? Yeah. And, and it's an exciting thing, Phil, that, you know, through much of the 20th century, that wasn't to be taken for granted, actually. Large swaths of the world, particularly the intellectual world, uh, did not place family at the center. I mean, most of the communist world emphasized government and, and government caregiving for children and government solutions for things. And in the West, you know, many, the, 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 some of the more activist folks within academia and, and the kind of the left end of the political spectrum really downplayed the importance of family. And the fact that today, even though there's a lot of disagreement, there, there's a broad consensus that the very best place for a child to grow up is safe, permanent, nurturing family. The fact that we can assert that with great confidence that just about everyone's going to agree, and then we can disagree on, okay, how's the best way to get there? And mm-hmm. hey, what compromises may we need to make within the brokenness of this world? And, and all of those things, uh, th- that's, you know, that's the wrestling point. But the, the fundamental agreement on the centrality of family, that's a wonderful thing that, we, yeah. that we're there. So good, Judd, and couldn't agree more. I think, uh, I think we have a lot to chew on and, and, and a lot to kind of follow along, you know, um, as we mentioned at the top of this topic, um, nothing has been set in stone. You know, we obviously understand that there's more conservative judges on the on the Supreme Court now. Um, we have seen the, you know, leaked draft from Justice Alito. So uh, there is some things potentially trending here, but but nothing has been set in stone. Um, and I think at the end of the day, um, you know, and for those people that are listening to Think Orphan, you guys already know this, but engage your church, ask your church, what, what are we doing to support vulnerable children? If you are running a nonprofit, you know, reach out to us, reach out to CAFO, reach out to people that, that can help equip, you know, f- figure out, uh, you know, how to get plugged in with, with more than enough and, and go check out, you know, the resources and the community that they're developing there at, at Christian Alliance for Orphans. So um, there are things that that we could be doing right now, you know, to, to even kind of prepare, you know, for, for a potential big, you know, change within policy. And then, man, just go to the state level, you know, go to the state level, because that's where a lot of this is going to be playing out. So, uh, Jed, thank you so much for, for your wisdom and for your leadership in this space. It's, it's so helpful. And um, before, we, before we let you go, you know, we do have these closing questions. And uh, given that it's been six years, um, I'm sure that you've uh, read a book or watched or listened to stuff in the interim. And, uh, you know, as somebody who is really uh, providing a lot of thought leadership around orphan and vulnerable children, we would love to, to hear from, from you and get a couple recommendations. So, uh, Jed, what have you read, watched, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children as well as families with excellence? Yeah. Well, you know, it'd be, I don't know if I could answer the most question, but I, right. I definitely you know, one that I valued really uh, just deeply in, in recent years is, is the book by Brian Fickard and Dr. Kelly Capick, uh, Becoming Whole. You know, uh, I mean, of, of course, I valued for his content, both of their content for, for many years. And uh, but often when helping hurts, 
what the big takeaway is people will take away is this idea that, hey, we, we need to be careful because our best intentions can do harm. And that's, that's a very important kind of primary realization. It brings a humility, it brings a thoughtfulness that may, you know, at times be lacking amongst those of us who are really enthusiastic to try to make a difference, right? So that's really good. But, but the, to, to go further than that and say, well, well, what really does cultivate health and healing um, and, and really redirecting our attention from material things alone to recognizing that the, the deepest needs of most humans and the deepest solutions uh, in most cases are not just material goods, right? They, they may, those things may play a very important part, but the, the wholeness of relationship and our relationship with our neighbor and with, with our creator, those things are really at the epicenter of human thriving and wholeness. So I, I just really have valued how uh, Brian Fickert and, and then his partner in that book, uh, Dr. Kelly Capic, developed that theme. So good. Yeah, can't go wrong with Fickert. Can't go wrong with Capic. I, I, obviously, we've had Brian on the podcast before as well. And Oh man, that, that book has been on my to read list. So now I'm going to move it up a few slots. Thank you, Jed. It's interesting, Brandon, because when helping hurts is the most recommended book on this show, like not even close. That's the first time we've had someone recommend, um, another book by Brian Fickert, unless you count in pursuit, which he did the forward to, but, but you know, I don't count that. So, um, you know, I, I mean, you can, if you want to, I just don't, I, I, you can Brandon though. I can't though. But anyway, so good. Well, uh, last question. What person, um, and I, I'll be honest, Jed, I did not uh, review your episode from six years ago, so I don't know if this has changed, but what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Yeah. Well, again, I, I don't know that I could fully answer that with right. one person. And, you know, it's so many amazing people, many of whom have been on this program, you know, Mike Duras, Phil and Jill Aspergen, uh, Beth Guckenberger, you know, many others. Um, but I would, you know, when I was thinking about this, because I, of course, have these questions advanced, I was thinking about one person. I thought, you know, uh, uh, Gary Haugen has profoundly impacted how I think about these issues First and foremost, you know, his book, um, Good News About Injustice, really, for me, helped crystallize the reality that the separation between kind of biblical orthodoxy, you know, meaning believing, you know, the historic Christian truths on the one hand, and the practice of pouring out one's life and loving your neighbor, concern about justice and mercy issues, those things you know, not only should they not be in separate camps, but they should be utterly inseparable, right? And and so I did, his book just, I, had, I, I felt that deep in my gut. And when I read it, I was like, yes, this is it. The way he articulated, I, I just appreciated that so much. But I would also add that ever since is just, you know, I've been kind of an observer of him and an admirer of his work at IJM. I so appreciate how he and, and the whole IJM team do things with such excellence, such professionalism, but ultimately, it is all rooted in a, in a vision of spiritual life, right? They see excellent work of justice being the natural fruit of a vibrant relationship with Christ. And that, of course, is how we want everything within the CAFO community to, to operate. We, we, we believe, yes, thoughtfulness, intelligence, well-planned strategies, that's critical. But ultimately, the best fruit is always going to grow from a tree that is rooted in health, that is drawing life every day from, from Jesus Christ, from a vibrant relationship with him. We, we do not want what Gary Haugen describes as prayerless striving, you know, where we're just going up against 
the endless toil of trying to address the world's needs and exhaust ourselves in the process. No, we need to be drawing life from a, from a deep, rich relationship with our maker. And in that, then, of course, we can be, be, be confident that good work in the justice and mercy front will, will spring from that. So good. So good, Jed. And, and that makes two straight episodes that Gary Haugen has been brought up. He's just such a leader um, within faith and within nonprofit spaces. And IJM is obviously a mentor example for, for a lot of our organizations. And, uh, you know, you, you, you didn't do this, Jed, but I will do this. Uh, you know, Justice in the Inner Life is a fantastic podcast that Jed leads um, that they get into exactly what you were just describing. You know, uh, you know, how do we foster ourselves spiritually and in connection with Christ and the Holy Spirit uh, while in the midst of work that can be grueling, you know, and, and you, you, uh, you foster that conversation so well. And uh, I believe you've had Gary on your show, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, definitely recommend that. Uh, Jed, thank you so much for, for being on Think Orphan today. Thank you for all your leadership within the Christian OVC space and, and for the important work that CAFO is leading us out in. Thank you, Brandon and Phil. We really appreciate you guys and such, such a joy to be th- part of things with you. Well, that was just a, a fantastic opportunity to connect mm-hmm. with Jed and just so appreciate his thoughtfulness in this space, uh, his leadership within this space. And, you know, this isn't an easy conversation, you know, and, and it's a conversation that, uh, well, it's very boisterous, sometimes how boisterous people can be about it uh, might make the average person a little apprehensive to kind of jump in. So I would just say, you know, for somebody, you know, like Jed or, um, you know, to, to be willing to have that conversation recorded and, and kind of get into, you know, the nitty gritty of some of this, I uh, just so appreciate, you know, him and, and, and the leadership that he provides and, and, mm. and as, as well as, of course, the work at, at CAFO. So, uh, Phil, what kind of jumped out to you as it pertains to this conversation we just had with Jed, not only on abortion, but also just kind of orphan care more broadly? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think with Jed, it, it, one of the things I've always appreciated about him is, is, and I think it comes from his time on Capitol Hill and his time in D.C. with the Bush administration, and is is just he's very um, he he very succinctly describes both sides of issues and understands both sides of issues. I think he understands all the arguments. You know, a lot of people just know their argument and they just pump it but it's what what i really have have tried to do and work hard to do ever since i you know back in law school and before and when i was a law clerk is i always tell the story of seeing both sides of issues is so important because if we're in that echo chamber of our own issue we're going to not see we're we're never going to see the other side and when i was a law clerk i read an opinion i mean i read a brief once a brief is basically one side's argument and i read the argument and i read in this thing and i'm going how in the world is this even on my desk right now? Because there's no way the other side has any chance to win this thing. And then I read the other side. And I was like, oh, that's why. There's always two sides to every story. There's two arguments. But what I want, what I love about Jed too, is he starts, he works to start with what we agree on. What are the things we agree on? And how many times did he go back to, if there's consensus on one thing, it's that, Every kid really needs a safe, stable, and loving family. 
right? Now, people might disagree on what family means. People might disagree on what that definition is. People might disagree on, on what that might look like in any different or whether it's realistic or all these other things. But if we can agree on that, then we can have a conversation about that. But I think what's happened in our society, particularly around abortion, is we start with what we disagree on. I mean, how many times are you having a conversation about abortion? Somebody goes, well, what about rape, incest, and, and you know, other life of the mother? It's like, well, that's, that's such a minority. That's not, that's not really the issue. But if we start with that, then, yeah, you can have all kinds of arguments about that, right? But why don't we start with family? Family's important. Raising up men and women to love each other and respect each other and have values. Let's start with that. Do you agree on that? If you don't, then you know what? We're probably not going to be able to have a conversation about anything. Yeah. Right? And so I think that's where we make a big mistake in our society, and hopefully we're doing a better job on this show by trying to figure out what are the things we agree on? How can we work towards those things? And then when we disagree on things, let's have conversations about those based in the fact that we agree on a lot more than we disagree on. And you know what? Like we're people that are seeking best for these people. Yeah. We're not total jerks who are just trying to get our way. No, we actually want the best for other people. And if people get to know you, if people get to know me, they're going to understand that and they're going to know that. You know, my wife reminds me often, I sometimes come across as harsh. I sometimes come across as, you know, arrogant. And and that, that bums me out a lot of the time, you know, because I don't mean to, but it's just the way I'm wired. I'm passionate. I get excited and I want to, and I come across as very strong, probably for my legal training as well, right? But, but at the end of the day, if you really get to know who I am, and she knows who I am, which is why she's so, you know, adamant about, Phil, you got to really be careful because you don't want, pe- you don't want people to lose the message because mm. you come across as harsh. And I think that's happening a lot in our society as well, especially when most of the con- quote unquote conversations, and I put them in quotes because it's not really conversations, are happening online. Mm. Even in that op-ed that Jed did, I read through not, I mean, there's 808 comments as of when I looked at it. And I read probably 100 of them. And they were just, they were, it was just echo chamber. And it was people yelling at Jed about things that I know Jed doesn't believe, but because it was black and white in however many words that he had to have in that article, you can't possibly have the conversation. So anyway, that, that's my, that's what I really came across. And I just, I, I really, really appreciate and love Jed as a brother and for who he is and what he's doing and what God's done through him as the president of CAFO over the last, you know, nearly two decades. It's coming on two decades now. It's probably 15 years, but I'm, I'm, I'm rounding up. So, no, that's good, man. You know, what I what I appreciated about the conversation is that, uh, well, one, there's an opportunity to bring in some nuance here. Um, and, you know, you mentioned black and white. And if you go into online comment sections, uh, you'll see a lot of people that are thinking in those terms, right? Yeah. Where it's either this or it's that. It's very binary. It's very, you know, and that's... Uh, that's not really helpful, to be honest, right. especially in a pluralist society where we do have to take in nuance, right? Where we do, mm-hmm. where we do have to recognize that other people have other points of view, um, you know. And that I, I think I've already referenced to this book, um, but that's one of the one of the fallacies, you know, that uh, Jonathan Haidt goes after mm-hmm. in Coddling of the American Mind mm-hmm. is is always only seeing things in you know good and evil, you know, right, right. and wrong, you know, black and white, you know, kind of thing. 
And that just isn't helpful. So the importance of taking in nuance and then really as we as Christians approach this abortion conversation uh, to recognize that this is not um, that this is not just something like, oh, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, therefore we've won. Right. It's not the case. Right. That's not the right. case. And unfortunately, too often, you know, uh, us, you know, Christians that are also politically engaged um, and I'm I'm pretty moderate personally, but I am pro-life. But too often we have um, almost kind of made out overturning Roe as the silver bullet. Right. Right. And it's not that, you know, abortion doesn't go away. Maybe maybe right. it's reduced, you know, but then, you know, as I was kind of even kind of pitched pitching to uh to jed you know that could also create strain in some other parts of our you know society that uh that are already pretty strained you know and 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 overstressed so this doesn't just go away right um this does not just go away so we have to continue and and you know to continue even maintaining that whole pro-life ethic you know um, womb to tomb, you know, kind of thing, you know, conception Absolutely. to resurrection. Right. So, so, <laughs> so, and, and I agree. And I actually appreciate that, that Jed brought that up, you know, um, about, you know, kind of characterizations, you know, um, and I think as he said, that is true of some people, but at the same time, man, working in this space, working in foster care, working in with orphans, working with the church, um, very socially engaged people that want the best for the, that want the best for the greater community, you know? Um, so Christian brothers and sisters, we got to keep going on that because, uh, this can be a pivotal moment, but you know, if we have focused so much on Roe, um, we really need to allow it to be catalytic, even if it is overturned, to just double down, you know, yeah. that now we really have to be about caring for for vulnerable children, for foster kids, for um, at-risk youth. Like, we really need to kind of jump in even all the more so, you know, if, if this does get overturned. So, Well, and here's the thing. Like, and we've talked about this, not necessarily on the show, but I think we may have. But if, if we, if, if abortion stops, the people listening to this, this podcast, your job gets a lot harder. <laughs> a lot harder. Think about all the, I mean, there's so much trauma going on in our world. There's so many people. And how many, what we talk about is hurt people hurt people, right? And a lot of the people that are getting abortions are in are from trauma and from hard places and it's their escape so if they don't have that a lot of those kids are going to be in a recipe for further trauma and additional trauma and so either those kids are going to be you know they're all going to be vulnerable and they will continue to be vulnerable and so I'm not advocating for abortion at all. I don't ever want anyone to think that I'm condoning that or I think I, I do believe that it's, it's wrong. I believe it's wrong. Um, but I also believe it, it's not going away in our society. So we need to live in that reality. And we need to understand that the more, the more rare abortion is, which is what we're all rooting for, not all of us, but the vast majority of people are rooting for, the more rare abortion becomes, the reality is the more work there is on the other side of that. For the parents, hopefully, or for other people who will be substitute parents for those children. Or if we don't take care of those children, they're going to be causing other social issues. And so, you know, I, I'm looking at it going, 
you know, I'm praying for way less abortions and I'm praying for way more people to step up to take care of those kids, to help those parents take care of those kids, to love those kids who are having kids and to be able to care for them and be able to encourage them and to be able to give them hope in the midst. And that's the one thing I remember, man. I mean, so vividly as I'm talking about this, and I remember these episodes, and I remember, I remember that Jed did talk about somebody else. He talked about Jesse in episode two, who I know Jesse. He's a great dude, but he came from hard place, and he he never got adopted. And I remember a conversation I had with him. I still remember a conversation I had with him where he says, "I hate my birthday. I hate birthdays mm. because I never have had anybody to celebrate them with me." That thirty-something years old, he told me that. Wow. And I remember that conversation, and then Jed talked about him, but. I remember Adrian Collins and her story. And if you don't know that story, go back and listen to it. Where she was a young pregnant woman. And she was at a Christian school and they told her to go get an abortion. Like what? She was, a, she was an RA at a Christian school. Like what? And she didn't, but she felt like she was unloved. She felt like she had no hope. She, as she described it, she felt like she was a, in the waves just crashing upon the rocks over and over again. That's what we're up against. That's what we have. If I say up against, that's also the opportunity we have to love, to do life, as Jed said, in community. If we do life together, that's going to take care of some of these issues. That's good, man. That's good. You know, and, and hopefully, you know, as people are listening to this and, and gleaning from Jed, you know, they're feeling better equipped uh, to, to, to work within this space and to be about supporting, you know, at-risk families, vulnerable mothers, vulnerable children. Um, and we want to continue to plug in those types of resources. So uh, with just a couple minutes here to go, Phil, I just kind of want to ask you, you know, is there anywhere else that we can maybe even be looking to kind of continue this conversation around, yeah. around families, around fathers, around mothers, you know, any, any recommendations for us today? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many of our episodes that have talked about it for sure. Um, but honestly, the one, the one guy that I, that I go back to when I, when I want really, really good content on family and just biblical family and um, parenting and um, just what it looks like in the context of the work we're doing, it's Keith McFarland, who I was my co-author on In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. His chapter on family was amazing. Um, if you haven't read the book, I encourage you to do so. Um, by the way, I just looked at the royalty checks. I think I've made about 36 cents on the book in the last two years. So it's not about money. Never has been. Mm -hmm. It's all about impact. And I really believe that chapter is valuable for anyone with kids. Anyone that's thinking about it. Anyone that's working in this, in this space. That chapter alone is worth the price of the book. Um, also, Peter Greer's book, uh, chapter on self-sustainability is where that story that I told earlier comes from. Um, there's so much more in that book, but those two chapters and just really understanding why we do what we do, which is the first few chapters that, that I was able to, to write and Brian Fickert's uh, forward. And it, there's just so much in there. Um, and then Keith's interviews that we did a two-part um, two uh, interview with him. Uh, I think it was 150-something uh, episodes 
So that's that's really what I have recommended for us today. Um, and and I do I will say I've never recommended in pursuit. So if you're first time listener and you're thinking, oh, Phil just does this to pump his own stuff. That's 100% not the case. We're 199 episodes in, and it's the first time I've done that. So anyway, it's because I truly believe in it, and, and I, I wouldn't have published it if I didn't. Um, and so that that's something that I really believe God's done a lot through it, and it's timeless. It's not stuff that's going to get old. Right. Uh, unfortunately, these are things and conversations we're going to be needing to have uh, the rest of our lives and beyond. So um, all right. So with that, folks. I just hope and pray that you're taking what you're learning from this. And as as this decision on Roe v. Wade, it's not Roe v. Wade, but the decision based on that that uh, earlier decision comes down, um, I pray that as, as we talked about earlier, you don't see it as, oh, we won or we lost, but now what? Hopefully is the question we can ask. And what does that mean for us? And who are we now? And how can we how can we enter into this? in a loving way that, that takes care of these children and families that are, that are going to be created, that are hurting, that are struggling in the midst of this. Um, and I, I, just, I just pray that's our response. And I pray that you're taking what you're, you're learning, what you, what you learned from this episode, what you've learned from other episodes, that you go back and listen to some of those other ones we talked about. And you, and you continually are using those things to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children and their families with more and more excellence each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.